This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. We are in the middle of a pandemic due to a novel virus that's been identified as COVID-19, just in case you've been out of touch, more commonly referred to as the coronavirus. And so most churches across the country as ours are trying to be part of the solution rather than the problem. And to follow the guidelines of the CDC, our president, our health professionals, we have called a temporary halt to our face-to-face Sunday morning services, but are continuing to to gather online, and I'm so pleased that you chose to join us today. Now, if you happen to tune in last week, we talked about the church. And typically, when we say the word church, we all think of a building. We say, well, I belong to that church down the road. Um, or, or I don't like my church, or I do like my church, or, or I need to get back into church, meaning a building. But last week we went to the original Greek word for church in the New Testament and found out that the word for church, ecclesia, doesn't mean a building or, or even a denomination. It means an assembly or a movement. And, and the reason that Christianity was able to survive the very difficult first two centuries of the church. I mean, it survived the death of its leader. It survived horrible persecution. It survived the destruction of the temple by the Romans. It it even survived a plague, and I was researching this this past week, a plague called the Antonine or the Galen. Galen, Dr. Galen was a Greek physician, but this plague killed estimates that ranged anywhere from 5 million people on up to 60 to 70 million people, including the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius. Uh, they, They say that perhaps a quarter to a third of the population died due to this plague. And just an interesting fact here, during this plague, Christians were targeted because they wouldn't bow down to to the gods And uh, so they felt that Christians had angered the gods, um, so they were targeted. But Christians kept on serving the sick, and and people kept on coming to Christ. The the church grew exponentially, and this was about 165 to 180 over about a 15-year period, uh, 165 A.D., but, but anyway, the church was able to survive all of those things, the persecution, the, the plague, death of the leader, and And the reason was because the church was not launched as a denomination. It was not launched as a building. It was launched as a movement. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. And these people didn't back down, nor did they dumb down the gospel. They kept proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God and He had resurrected from the dead. That's the reason that the gospel made it all the way over to this part of the world and into your heart and into my heart. But this then brings up what I feel is a valid question. Since the ecclesia or or the church is not a building, is there any need for us to have church services and meet in a church building? And the reason I'm addressing this is, is uh, because I have ESP. N- not really, but, but I've read some of your minds, and 
So, some of you have, have thought, you know what? If the church isn't a building, do we really need to gather in a building? I mean, doing church online isn't half bad, is it? You, you get to stay home and you're in your comfy clothes. Ladies, you didn't feel you had to put on makeup today. So that saved you two or three hours or whatever it normally takes you. Uh, your Sunday morning was not rushed. You, you got to eat pancakes and bacon and sausage and biscuits and gravy during the service. Maybe, maybe you're watching it from your recliner. And, and if you don't like something that I say, you can just turn it to another one of the thousands of thousands of churches that are doing the same thing we're doing today. But anyway, some of you, you're actually enjoying church in your living room, aren't you? Be honest, you, you are. And so back to my question. Since the original concept of, of church is not a building, is there any need for us to meet in a building anymore? And I was thinking about this this past week. Uh, you know, we're, we're not a megachurch, uh, but we're very, very blessed. And, and our building has, has quite a bit of space in it. Uh, we have a big enough building to where if we quit having church, we could turn part of our building into a workout gym. You know, we could all get in shape and get ripped for Jesus. And Plus, I was thinking about this week, there would be plenty of room to have a bowling alley, several lanes, and this really excited me. There would be enough room to accommodate a racquetball court, maybe two of them. And in our new family life center, I thought about this. This would be the perfect place for a large indoor swimming pool. And then since many in our community still take seriously the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, there'd be plenty of room to have a nice shooting range. And I've thought about that in the, in the southeast wing. And you know, this was kind of before my day, but, but I understand that shuffleboard used to be a big deal. I think we could fit a shuffleboard, what do you call it, court, field, arena, area. We could have a shuffleboard area for the old timers. And, and not to mention, this is very important, there'd still be enough room to continue with Cornerstone Coffee Shop so we could satisfy our latte and cappuccino fixes. I could think of a lot of uses for our building. So is this beautiful building that we gathering really necessary? Is gathering for a church service outdated? Is coming to church just a placebo for weak people? Is the church just a place to give employment for those people who aren't good enough and smart enough to make it in the business world, and so they become pastors and then just work one day a week? By the way, that's a joke, but some of you thought I was serious. But, but with all of the technology available now, is, is gathering in a church building really that necessary? Can we just do it online from now on? Can we make it the new normal? There's a quote that has gained a lot of traction over the past few years, and, and, and you've heard it. It goes like this, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And people that say that basically are saying, you know, I, I love God, but I don't like the church. And, and so again, would it be okay to transition into a new normal where we just worship God individually or, 
or with our families in the privacy of our homes, just do it online from now on, would that be sufficient? Well, I know I have my hands full with that topic, but that's the question that we want to consider today. Now, as we tackle this subject, perhaps the best way for us to begin is to do a quick study of church history. The church was officially born around 1990 years ago on the day of Pentecost. Christ had ascended back into the heavens. And after 120 or so believers spent several days in prayer, the Spirit of God descended in an incredible way, which led the Apostle Peter to preach a sermon where Last week we read over 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. That was the inauguration of the church. And so what happened after that? Well, I was studying this this past week, but I found out, I found it very interesting that those new believers didn't just say, well, I love Jesus, but I'll serve him on my own. I can do that in my living room. That wasn't what happened. Immediately after the birth of the church, common meeting places began to develop. And and even though the church was a movement, yet they found it necessary to develop common meeting places, whether it was the upper room on the outskirts of Jerusalem or one of the many churches that the Apostle Paul planted, such as the church at Corinth or or Ephesus or or Colossae or, or, or Philippi, many other places, we find that the early church came together and met as a corporate body of believers, they didn't just try to independently serve Christ on their own. Now, granted, in the early days, they didn't have big church buildings like we do today, but they had designated meeting places where the church came together. And furthermore, God felt so strongly about His people coming together for corporate worship that that He gave this directive. And, And this is not just a suggestion, an option. This is a command. In Hebrews 10, 25, and we'll get to the Scripture that you've got your Bibles open to in a moment, but it says, let us not give up meeting together. So right there, God gives us the command to come together as a body of Christ, Let us not give up meeting together. Listen, as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I I researched this, but evidently the book of Hebrews was written about 67 AD. So, So around 36, 37, 38 years after the inauguration of the church. And and so already in the early days of the formation of the church, you had those that were basically saying, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. And they were neglecting coming together with the body of Christ. You know, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So Christ says, don't give up meeting together as some people already have done. Why is it so important to gather together? Well, it goes on and said, let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, one of the things I, I, I do many times as, I, uh, as I'm studying for, for a lesson is, is I do a, a word study. And, and so I, I did a word study on that word encourage. And I went back to the original Greek language. And, and until this past week, I didn't really understand what, what encourage meant. And, and I thought this verse, I thought that word was saying, you know, let's come together and encourage, kind of slap each other on the back and say, you know, you can do it. I believe in you. And 
have a little pep rally for Jesus. You know, give me a J, give me an E, give me an S. You know, what, what does that spell? But that's not the real meaning of the word encourage. As I studied this word, I found that the word encourage probably should more properly have been translated exhort. Uh, the, the Greek root, root word, and you don't need to remember this, is parakaleo, and it literally means to call near. So it's not, you can do this, brother. You got this. That's not what it was. It's to call near to Jesus. So when it, when it says we're to meet together to encourage, that means to exhort, to call people near to God, to instill godly principles and, and godly values into their lives. And here's, here's something that hit me. If the church ceases to have regular meeting places where we exhort and help bring people near to God, who will step in and do that? Have you ever thought about that? It's not that people can't find God in other places. It's not that the church building saves you. But more than likely, more than likely, your values, your parents' values, your coming to Christ was because of the influence of Christians coming together in a church building. And if that meeting place goes away, if that voice of the church coming together goes away, what will happen? Let me tell you what will happen. People will default back to what is natural. Now, let me, let me explain that. You see, what is natural, or we call it nature, can be beautiful or it can be brutal. We say, well, I need to go out and experience nature, you know, the natural. And again, that can be good. But when you move beyond the surface beauty of nature, nature is beautiful or brutal. It's beautiful, but it's brutal. For example, um, nature is an earthquake that destroys the country of Haiti where 200,000 people lost their lives. Nature is a hurricane slamming into the coast of Florida. Nature is a tornado ripping through the city of Joplin. Nature is a coronavirus outbreak that has now killed 32,000 or so and infected hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands more around the world. Nature is is a couple of coyotes jumping on a newborn fawn and ripping it to death. Nature is a bobcat crouching on a low limb in a tree, not moving a muscle until a flock of turkeys walks under the tree and he pounces on that unsuspecting bird and breaks its neck. In fact, this is further illustrated if you ever had the opportunity to go to Africa on a safari and you won't be on the game preserve very long before you will see the ugly side of nature. And I was in Kenya a few years back and someone was telling about a safari they had taken there and and the safari vehicle drove to where some vultures were circling above and they saw that some lions had taken down a a cape buffalo, which they said was very unusual. Evidently, lions don't 
normally attack animals that big and ferocious. But the pride of lions had taken down a Cape buffalo and they'd gathered around it and they were feasting on it. And, and the safari group uh, was a safe distance away watching from their safari vehicle. Well, they saw other animals begin to gather. It was as if they knew their pecking order. They all waited their turn. The animals closest to the lions were the hyenas, and, and, and they weren't far from the lions. Uh, it's almost like they had front, front row seats. But those hyenas knew they were no match for the lions, even though the Lion King movies portrayed it a little bit differently. But those hyenas had to wait until the lions had finished. A little bit further away began to gather another group of animals, and, and these were these, uh, uh, the jackals, cute, cute little boogers that, that kind of looked like foxes. And then, of course, the vultures were, were circling around, waiting their turn, and, and the person that was telling this said it was amazing. After the lions finished their meal, they, they were so stuffed, and they just kind of waddled off into, in the bush and, and just rolled over on their backs and their, their legs sticking straight up. And when they did that, the hyenas immediately moved in, and they ate until they were full. Then they wandered off. And then the jackals came and they ate until they had their fill. And, and then it was the vulture's turn. And, and the person that was telling about this said that never once in this scenario did the lions ever move over as if to say, hey, hey, Mr. Hyena, you know, Mrs. Jackal, Mr. Vulture, there's plenty of food for all of us. Welcome. Come on over. We'll be happy to share. No. Nature is all about first come, first serve. Nature, or what comes natural, is that the biggest and the baddest, they get to go first. Nature is all about might makes right. Me, myself, and I. And here's my point. Human nature is no different. Without the ecclesia, the, the, the church that exhorts and, and calls people near to God and teaches, teaches the values of Jesus Christ. Here is what human nature looks like. If I've got the money, I'm more powerful than you. You do what I say because I know more than you know. That's human nature. Human nature is, is racism. You know, you're different than I am. My race is better than yours. Human nature is, you hurt me, I don't get mad, I get even. Human nature is cheating. This may get a little bit close. How many of you, the only reason you don't cheat on your income taxes or the only reason you don't speed? Yeah, I'm talking to you there, buddy. You don't speed because you're afraid you might get caught. That's the only reason. Isn't that right? That's what comes natural to us. Now, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 contrasts for us what comes natural to us versus what it looks like when people have had their values shaped by the Spirit of God. And here's what Paul says in Galatians 5.16. So I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And In other words, if you let your natural desires rule over your behavior, it's going to be ugly. 
Let me show you how ugly it's going to be. Skip down three verses to verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Now, now pay attention to the word obvious. Paul is about to show us a list of things that come about because of our sinful nature. And, and when we read these, these will all be obvious. You, nobody will say, well, do people really do those things? I, I've never heard of that happening. No, these things will be obvious. Here's the list. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious and starts out with sexual immorality. That's obvious. Paul is saying that our default morality is immorality. Let me me say it again. I want you to catch that. Our default morality is immorality. You know, without the Spirit of God, we would all default to immorality. We all know someone that's been immoral. And and by the way, if you're feeling pretty smug, pretty good about yourself because you haven't climbed in bed with someone that wasn't your spouse, the truth is that a good many of you have lusted or viewed images, which in essence, that has made you guilty of mental or emotional adultery. Well, it goes on kind of in the same thread of sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now, debauchery is a word we don't use too much, but basically just kind of summarizing Cedar County definition of debauchery is, is whatever, whenever, with whomever. And um, let me just pause a moment here and, and, and say something to the men. Women, take the dog outside for a minute if you want to or whatever. Throw a load of laundry in, but men... Can you imagine, but maybe not too much, can you imagine living in a world where you were rich enough or powerful enough to where there would be no consequences for your immorality? Well, in the first century, there was a culture like that. It was called the Roman culture. And can you imagine what would happen in our community if someone didn't put the brakes on that part of human nature? Well, it goes on and says idolatry, and idolatry is essentially putting more value on something, whether it's pleasure, money, hobbies, or someone over God. Paul continues on, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, and in fact, let me just stop a minute and talk about discord. That's a person that is a pot stirrer. Every church has at least one. And you'll be grateful that I'm not going to mention your name this morning. Every business has at least one. Discord. A pot stirrer. It goes on and says jealousy. That one is tough to see in the mirror. Um, can, can I get really blunt? Uh, some of you ladies, you... Do not like skinny women. You don't admit it, but you don't like them because you're jealous. By the same token, some of you guys don't like rich men. Or you don't like men that have awesome hair. Like your pastor. And a six-pack. And I'm not talking about a six-pack of beer, if you know what I mean. You know, the truth is that we're all guilty of, of jealousy in some aspect. It goes on and says, fits of rage. 
That's someone who slams doors. They get mad. They slam the door behind them. And I told you before that we had a family member, and, and, and I won't tell you which side of the family they were on, because um, I don't want to embarrass faith, but, 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 but a family member had an anger problem, and one day they slammed the door, but they forgot to get their finger out in time, and it literally cut off their finger. Um, fits of rage. Uh, do you get mad, punch the wall, throw things, say things, fits of rage? That's what comes natural. That's what two-year-olds do. And then it goes on and says selfish ambition. And we could just spend two or three services on this. Dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness. That's, that right there is a work of the flesh, drunkenness, orgies. And then I love this little phrase here, and the like. I, I think that's probably a little Greek phrase that in a sense means etc. On and on. These and other similar behaviors are the default behaviors of mankind. And because of the fact that we tend to slide over to the default mode, do you know what we have to do? We have to establish laws. Because otherwise we would cheat, we would steal, we would speed, we would take advantage of people all day long. So we have to have laws to protect people. Now, I realize, I realize I've taken the scenic route to try to answer our beginning question. Is it important for the church, the ecclesia, the movement of Jesus Christ to regularly gather together in a common meeting place? And regardless of the fact that some of you are enjoying church online, the truth is that if there ever were a day that Christians needed to come, to come together for accountability and, and for the teachings of Jesus Christ, it's today. And, and, and I'm not literally meaning today we're respecting the health guidelines given to us but but maybe i could say it this way if there ever were an age when the voice of the church is needed it's today because if we neglected assembling ourselves together to encourage remember what encourage means to exhort to draw people near to god we would default back to what is natural and you wouldn't want to live in that type of society. Okay, so that's the natural side. That's the default mode of human, of human nature. But then Paul says there's another side. And this is the good news right here. Because we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, continuing on, but the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, the Spirit is what makes you realize, hey, I don't think I should click on that. I don't think I should look at that. I don't think I should go there. That's the Spirit of God. The, the, the Spirit of God is what empowers us to live in a way that's not natural so that even if there weren't any laws, we would still do the right thing. That's the Spirit of God. Okay, here's the list of behaviors that comes from the Spirit of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the first one it mentions, is love. 
Can, can I give you an up-to-date picture of love? Here it is. I actually got to the toilet paper aisle first and grabbed the last package. But I still have several rolls left. And so because I love you, I'm going to give you my toilet paper. Love is, I actually got to the checkout line first, but why don't you go in front of me? Love is, I'm going to treat you right even though you weren't very nice to me. And those responses are not natural. They come from the Spirit. It goes on and says, love, joy, peace. Again, we could spend a lot of time on each of these. Patience, kindness. And by the way, when Paul wrote this, Rome ruled the world and kindness wasn't in their dictionary. It says goodness, faithfulness. What's, what's faithfulness? Well, faithfulness is if I said it, I will follow through. Faithfulness is I signed my name and even though the state of Missouri and even if the courts can't force me to do it, I sign my name, I'm good for it. Faithfulness is I will pay my bills. It goes on and says gentleness and self-control. And Have you thought about self-control? What if for one month everybody in America would exercise perfect self-control? We wouldn't run our mouths so much. We would be healthier. We would spend less. We would pray more. Self-control would change our culture. And, and here's what I find so fascinating. I learned so much this past week as I studied, but, <clears throat> you know, the early church, they had a hot, burning, <clears throat> spiritual fire, and we're not even close to their level. But they were as spirit-filled as any church, yet what I find fascinating is that they still found it necessary to stay connected and be accountable and meet together in a common place and receive the teachings of Jesus Christ. Why? So they would not revert back to their default and natural behavior. And since God knew us pretty well, we would have a tendency to say, okay, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. Or I can worship God just as well in the woods or on the lake or in my living room. He, he knew that we would say, you know what, this online stuff is okay. Or I can watch a televangelist that's a lot better than my pastor. God took away all of those excuses. And so even though the church is not a building... It's a movement centered around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yet God said, don't neglect assembling yourselves together in a common meeting place as some have already done. And here's the question. It says, as some have already done, would your name be included in that list? As some have already done, they've already neglected the assembling of themselves together? Well, Paul finishes by giving the list of values of how uh, 
you know, the person community should look when it's controlled with, by the Spirit with this statement. He kind of wraps it up with this statement. Verse 23, against such things there is no law. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you've been napping in your recliner or looking at that spider web up in the corner or if you've been counting the number of times that I've said um or uh or whatever, um, um, uh, pay, pay attention here. Paul has been saying that when it comes to the natural deeds of the flesh, we have to have laws to control people's behavior. However, when a community is fueled by the Spirit of God, there's no need for laws to control those behaviors. For example, you never hear anybody say, hey, buddy, you have too much patience. Don't make me come over there and beat the patience out of you. You know, we need a law to make sure that people don't develop too much patience. No. You never hear anyone say, oh, you got too much joy. We need to come up with some laws to control your joy level. Or You never hear anyone say, hey, you're too kind. I'm going to go to the city council, see if they can pass a law against showing so much kindness. Paul says that when a culture allows the Spirit of God to transform their behavior, there is no need for laws. That's why great marriages, they don't have rules. They just love each other. Great churches don't have huge, thick policy manuals. If you find a church with a big book of bylaws, that church is probably very unhealthy and operating in the flesh. And so here's the reason I've said everything I have. As a country, and even though we've strayed far from where we used to be, yet those values that we still understand as right or wrong, they do not come naturally. Where have those values come from that we've learned? Well, the church of Jesus Christ coming together in a common meeting place, exhorting, encouraging, calling people to Jesus, has helped instill those values into our society. It's the church that says, Husbands, the woman you married is not your piece of property. She's your wife. You need to love her like Christ loved the church. It's the church based on the teachings of Jesus Christ that says all people are equal. Men, women, rich, poor, red, yellow, black, white. It's the church that says all people have equal dignity. It's the church of Jesus Christ that says love your enemies. And and notice, it's not the church of Jesus Christ that says kill the infidels. Kill non-believers. The church of Jesus Christ says love your enemies. Pray for them. You see the difference? It's the church, and I say this very sensitively, carefully, but it's the church that's been on the forefront to say to women, you know, abortion is not the solution. And the reason is it's not that we're against you. It's simply because that unborn baby that you are carrying is not really your body. 
Rather, it's a separate individual that has a soul. And so the church feels an obligation to speak up for those who have no voice to speak up for themselves. It's the church, and even though, unfortunately, the church has not always spoken with love and compassion and wisdom here, but it's the church that has been on the forefront to guard the sanctity of marriage and say that it's one man, one woman, until death separate them. It's not that the church hates gay people. But God's design for marriage from the very beginning has been that man and woman would become one. It's the church that has been the great promoter that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in between. Things didn't just evolve. There was a creation, which means there had to be a creator. And if the common gathering place of the church should disappear, more than likely those truths would disappear as well because who else will teach those values? Congress? Don't think so. Hollywood? Huh? You crazy? Our sports stars? Yeah, right. Our schools? Probably not. Unfortunately, many of our good and godly teachers are not allowed to speak up for some of those values. For 2,000 years, ever since the Apostle Paul planted churches around the Mediterranean Rim, those meeting places have provided a platform to teach godly values, godly principles that have helped shape cultures, communities, and transform lives around the entire world. One of my heroes was Adrian Rogers, and he was a pastor in Memphis for many, many years, died in 2005. I've heard him speak before and been to his church. He had a big, deep voice, the type of voice that every preacher wishes he had. And he tells a story that I think is the perfect ending for our our time together. He said he was on a plane leaving Memphis, and after they got airborne, he reached down, picked up his Bible, lowered his tray table, placed his Bible on it, and started reading it. And the man next to him was reading a magazine, and after a few minutes, he put the magazine down and said, can I ask you a question? And he said, I know it's none of my business, but why, why do you read the Bible? And Adrian Rogers said it was one of those moments where as a Christian, you just say, God help me. I, I, I know he doesn't probably want a 15-minute answer, probably 15 seconds max. And so God, what do I say? And Adrian Rogers said this. Sir, I've discovered that in this book are the solutions for three things, the three things that plague mankind. I found that in this book is the solution to sin, sorrow, and death, and that from those three things all of our problems stem. The man beside him said, oh, oh, okay. He picked up his magazine, started reading. Adrian Rogers continued to read the Bible. He said quite a while went by. The man put down his magazine and said, okay, I've been sitting here trying to think of something that doesn't fall into the category of sin, sorrow, and death, and I can't think of any. And so here we are, near the end of March 2020. The Word of God is still relevant. It still has the solution to sin, 
sorrow, and death. And that is why nearly 2,000 years after the book of Hebrews was written, we're, we're still to not neglect the assembling of ourselves together because we need each other. We need to encourage. We need to exhort. We need to call people near to God. We need to instill values from the Word of God. So to address what some of you may be thinking, you're, you know, it's kind of cool, gather in your house for worship. God's Word really doesn't give room for individual, isolated worship as the new normal. We need to come together. And know the church is not perfect. If it were perfect, the moment you joined, it would cease to be perfect. But it's not perfect because I've already joined. But just as your values were formed by the teaching from the church of Jesus Christ, so will the future values of your children and the future values of your grandchildren and the future values of your great-great-grandchildren more than likely be formed from the teachings of the church of Jesus. So, this too shall pass. COVID-19, I pray to God, will pass sooner than later. And I can hardly wait for the time for us to come back together again. And, and besides that, I really miss you here, at least most of you. Uh, but, but I can hardly wait until we can join together in the name of Jesus and worship as a body of believers. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.